Hi, I'm Plugo, creator of A Tiger's Tale, the graphic novel, and you're watching Two Geeks Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We're joined today by a very talented, not only martial artist, but a, a, an artistic and creative person in his own right. Found his work through, of course, Twitter, as I normally do when it comes to the creative process. And I loved the art style. I loved his, his style of drawing, uh, multiple drawings that he's done in the past as well, too. But I'll let him talk about exactly what we're going to talk about. We are joined today by the ever-talented Patrick Lugo. How are you doing today, Patrick? I'm doing well, Kurt. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a real pleasure. Uh, it's a pleasure having you on. Um, I, like I've gushed earlier, uh, I, I love what you're doing with not only bringing philosophy and art to a, a new generation, but also bringing worthwhile stories from the various martial artists that you connect with in the past as well too. But for those that don't know anything about A Tiger's Tale, which is what we're talking about today, tell us what it's all about. Well, A Tiger's Tale is a middle grade graphic novel that I've spent decades uh, devoted to. That hasn't kept me from doing other projects, but this thing has been with me for a long time. Imagine the Jungle Book meets Kung Fu, right? But it's not just uh, talking animals and fight scenes, right? I, I really wanted to go deeper than that and explore a lot of the martial arts and Eastern philosophy folklore through a lens of like the oral tradition that my career just, you know, put me in a position to be exposed to. The log line is something to the effect of Khan, the Prince of Tigers grows jealous of his adopted human brothers. Uh, his jealousy leads to some mistakes that throw the whole, uh, balance of the world out of whack. And so then he has to, after spending some time in exile, he's got to go on a quest to reunite with his brothers and do the bidding of the court of dragons to, you know, set right what was thrown off balance. It's, it's amazing to see how lost the oral traditions are these days when it comes to uh, everyone's focus on technology. And especially with folklore and and with um religion and and everything like that that are meant to tell a story not to pr simply preach um why is philosophy and this comic book so important to you as a as a youngster i was engaged in zen meditation while my high school classmates were out you know having ragers so it it was always something that however i was wired i was just always had that bit of curiosity that uh, the martial arts just really uh, called to me. You know, I had two older brothers who would kind of beat, beat each other up and then occasionally beat me up. Following them to their karate classes kind of set things in motion. And then from there, it wasn't long before, you know, I was going through the after-school Taekwondo and then just finding something else, always kind of trying to see what else is out there. And I, I think that curiosity just stayed with me. So how's, how did that curiosity help you as an artist? Very early on, it was, I, I've always been like a learn as you do type of individual. So my art has always been about like trying to learn, like make a work of art along the way. You know, I kind of imagine art not as a finished product, but as a process. 
And so it's not so much about like getting to that finished painting or that finished sculpture. It's about, you know, what you discover along the way, you know, whether it's a new technique or a new insight or just your surprise because it looked better or worse than what you were hoping for. You had a lengthy bio, which I, I loved reading. I want to touch on, on a couple of points there. How did you get involved with martial arts magazine? The martial arts magazines that you were working for? Oh, it was, I guess you could call it fate. Always had a little bit of martial arts activity going on, you know, uh, vice president of the Kung Fu club in college, that sort of thing. But there was a point around the 90s where I just kind of got headhunted, whereas I could stay in New York and work for a small indie publisher that I was working for at the time. Or I could, you know, head west and try and find some new things. The job listing was just generic graphic designer needed. But then when I showed up, they're like, oh, well, we do merchandise, but we also publish this magazine. You may have heard of it. It's called Kung Fu, you know. And I was like, oh, I know, you know, I do. a, You know, I, I hesitate to even say that I know Kung Fu because after having seen the people who truly know Kung Fu, you know, I can only consider myself like, uh, what's the word, a, a dilettante. I've taken some seminars. I've been thrown around. You know, I can vaguely remember some moves. But compared to the people who make it a life, I'm just kind of glad to be in the room with them when, that, when, when they do their thing. It's amazing to watch. Definitely. Uh, for me, I was a practicing Japanese jiu-jitsu um, practitioner for about 10 years myself. And that's awesome. just, I, I loved it. I, I I messed up my shoulder, but I still love it. Um, just seeing the way the body moves, seeing the way action and reaction happens, you know, it's it's amazing to see how that transitions in, in day-to-day life. Every single action that we do in our life, whether it be creative or whether it be, uh, you know, in our mind or, or whatever we decide to to chase after in our short lifespan um, has a reaction of some case. In many cases, it's positive, especially when it comes to the creative side of things. And sometimes it can be negative. Uh, from a long-standing career that you've had, though, especially when it came to graphic designing for the Kung Fu magazine specifically, you must have run into uh, martial arts masters or that were idols of yours or anything along that line were, were they creative in their own way oh yes i mean that's one of the, the the hidden secrets about martial artists i guess you can call it like the nature of mastery is that you you can't really master one without mastering the other so like the best most highest level martial artists out there are also amazing painters and amazing poets or philosophers. And this isn't just the case for like your been there 80 year old master, you know, these are also the young up and coming masters who are amazingly accomplished. And they're also uh, very musically inclined or they're graffiti artists. So one of the things that I like to talk about is this concept called the Wu Lin, which is known as the Kung Fu forest, right? And if you imagine every tree in that forest is like an individual school. One tree would be jujitsu. Another tree would be Shaolin Kung Fu. The branches are the individual students. But if you look at just the schools, right, they're, they're individual. But if you look up into the branches, you see how all the 
branches intertwine, you know, and that's like the community of how people interact that plays out not just in martial arts, but that plays out in arts and comics and music. You know, looking at then, of course, A Tiger's Tale, obviously this is a, a wonderful comic, especially a wonderful graphic novel comic, however you'd like to call it, an art masterpiece, let's say. For the younger generation that's that's looking at this work, though, has there been any response to maybe showcasing previews of this to the younger generation? Have you... Have you had a chance to do anything along that line? I mean, I have. I'm, I'm lucky because of what I've done is uh, showed them to various like martial arts instructors who have students and just ask them, you know, what do you think? And so many of the, the recurring thing is, oh, I love this. This would be great for my kids. Let me let me find a way to add this into my, you know, my training program. And so as a result, we have started going back and forth. And one thing I decided to do was because A Tiger's Tale is a work of fiction, I launched the website, atigerstale.com to be more of a, a resource, to be more of an educational resource for young readers, but also for you know a martial arts instructor who needs something that they can print out for their kid. And then at the same time for like the parents who's just now sending their kids to after-school Taekwondo classes. Let me, let me correct myself. There's no Taekwondo mentioned on the website yet. It's focused mostly on Chinese Kung Fu, you know, for the uninitiated, right? Taekwondo comes from the Korean Peninsula. The website is there to have some articles and some offer insights that are more based on the real teachings. Because I don't want to, I don't want to like, tell a story that's fictional and have people confuse what's fiction with what's the source material. So I'd rather offer both kind of in that yin yang sort of way. Looking at being a practitioner of, of martial arts as you are, and as a creative person, how has martial arts helped you creatively though, in your own professional? <clears throat> it's challenged me greatly. Work for the martial arts community is very demanding, right? There's people who just like the, the, the bar for excellence is so high and the minimum bar is also quite high that, that you really have to kind of step up and commit, you know? So for me, it was about committing to this community and committing to making the magazine as, as great as it could be. It, we, you know, we started as this 70 page black and white thing. And then up until 2020, we were upwards of 120 full color, you know, a much more of a mainstream thing. That kind of work ethic and that kind of, you know, push it a little bit farther, just kind of infused a lot of what I, I had to do. You know, and, and it's not like I enjoyed it all the time, right? I, I grumbled when I was like, oh man, I have to redo this thing. Or, you know, man, this, this event is taking too long to get done. But that's part of, I guess, the process. That's part of what martial arts, that martial philosophy tries to teach is that there's a saying that, that says, and I'm full of sayings, believe me, I've, I've absorbed so many, but there's one that says you have to eat bitter before you can eat sweet, right? So you have to, you have to put the work in, you have to do the menial, boring, hard stuff before you can do the cool moves and, you know, the win the awards. And I mean, I think that's a lesson that applies to martial arts and physical fitness, right? You can always get better, but it applies also to visual arts and the creative sphere as a whole obviously with with the oral tellings of of these many tales that you have collected to make into this work for a tiger's tale what did you have to edit out of this book certain amounts of violence right because some of these stories are really quite visceral 
I like to imagine that it's a martial arts story that's not about fighting, right? It's a martial arts story about resolving conflict without necessarily having to fight. There are fight scenes in it, you know, there, there's, you know, there's monsters that have to be defeated and whatnot, but there are also scenes where it, where it demonstrates how the hero can actually use patience or use wisdom as an alternative to just going straight to fisticuffs. What's the most misunderstood aspect about being not only a practicing martial artist, but maybe people on the outside looking at martial artists that haven't practiced themselves? Oh, that's, that's a tricky one. I, I'm not this renowned martial artist, you know, I'm exposed to a lot of renowned martial artists. So I think there's a thing where people maybe kind of get a little bit enamored with with some of the, the mystique behind it, you know, like I can knock this person out with one punch, right? Or I can do whatever, a, a 360 degree aerial kick or, you know, these, these benchmarks, you know, but when you, when you start talking about or talking with the martial artists who have made it a, a real lifestyle, you know, who, and who are put the work in, I admit I'm, I'm a little on the lazier side, so I don't, I don't put as much work in. I've got a dog to walk. I've got pages I want to draw, you know? So, and there, there have been times when I've tried to draw while in horse stance and that is freaking tough. So there's only so much one I, I'll, I'll do on that sense. But then when I see those people who are just 110% devoted to it, I mean, that is something just fortunate to be next to. They can still be quirky. People are still people. So it's not like excellence in this one sphere guarantees that this person is an enlightened master. There's a reason that a master, you know, achieves mastery, right? It's um, what, what's one definition a friend of mine tells me is that the master is the person who's made all the mistakes already. I could use that in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm always amazed to see that those who have accomplished the most really kind of are determined to accomplish more. They don't consider what they've accomplished enough. And that's something that's challenged that lazy tendency that I've also had of like, oh, no, I've done enough now. Let me go and relax, you know, and I've done too much relaxing in my life, which is why I'm working harder these days, you know. So has the pandemic helped or hurt your creativity? Oh, it's been a crazy silver lining. I call it coping through creativity. You know, when the pandemic struck, you know, obviously there was a lot of uncertainty and there was a lot of time spent alone and focused on like what is, you know, and, you know, that led to a bunch of sleepless nights and I'm sure I'm not the only one. What really helped me was just really having enough self-discipline to just say, okay, I'm going to go and put that time at the art table and just do something, you know, I might be sitting in the dark because I can't sleep, but let me at least sit there with a sketchbook and, and see what comes up, you know? And so my creative output skyrocketed over the pandemic. I mean, part of that was also not needing to commute an hour to get to and from an office. So all of a sudden that time could be spent at the drawing table. And, and thus, you know, you have amazing projects and you've continued an amazing career as well too. When was the first time you learned that language had power? Mm, that, see, now, this is a question that's really fascinating. I feel like it's been something I learned very early on, right? I grew up in a bilingual household where my parents spoke predominantly Spanish, but they encouraged us to focus on English. We had to have English as a language that was very clear. Working within that, that difference really kind of um, made me aware of how 
the difference between what's said and what's meant kind of stayed with me. And then as I learned to read, reading comics, you know, just that whole second level of like the story being conveyed through dialogue and the effectiveness of, of communication with words, but also unspoken words. You know, I was very, I was a very late speaker as a child. So I have distinct memories of older people trying to encourage me to speak. And so as it took time to really kind of get past those insecurities to really learn about articulating or communicating outside of like the, the specifics of words used. Being an artist, being a creative person, how has the visual art of language uh, helped you? Oh, in so many ways. I mean, I've been able to like, you know, I, I've done some traveling, did some volunteer work in West Africa for a, a summer. And that was a huge eye-opening experience for a young me. And having that sketchbook to just be able to draw person's likeness, even vaguely sketched out, was such a way to bridge the gap. I mean, that was a little trick I that really helped me get far working with a lot of the non-speaking martial arts masters from China and abroad. We had a translator to take care of the business, but I could kind of break the ice and, and try and get more of a connection with them by sitting there and sketching a quick sketch of their face while they were talking. And then, you know, I could tear it out and hand it to them and that could just build a rapport that, that kind of transcended the language barrier, but allowed for communication to happen. I think visual language is a whole other next level uh, phenomenon that goes beyond just writing. I think that's part of what drew me to graphic design as well. From a creative perspective, how is, how is being a graphic designer maybe transitioning from the, the uh, analog process to technology helped you? <laughs> it definitely re repeatedly shows me the importance of attention to detail, which is, is huge. But then it's also um, made me very willing to just put my mistakes out there as well. I get teased by my editors for some of my bizarre typos and some of them is is some of them are a result of the poor typing habits you know the, the peek and poke thing <laughs> but other times it's just bad spelling habits i don't necessarily pay attention to the rules of grammar and spelling because i want to just get to the idea right sometimes it's more important to just put the thing out there and if it's got a, a typo oh well it's got a typo i mean check this out i i printed out these cards and for the longest time, you know, <laughs> it took forever for someone to point out that I'm missing the freaking R in February, you know? And so what do I do? I've got a bunch of those typos, you know, is that now a collectible postcard because it's imperfect? It's, it's one of those uh, Kickstarter perks, you know, have, have a, you know, first ever printing of this postcard with, with a typo. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I think I've definitely, especially over the pandemic, I've learned to kind of be a little less worried or be a little more willing to have those mistakes be out there and just let people know I'm, you know, I'm imperfect too. And it's part of what makes it a process and not a finished result. What is your creative kryptonite? My creative kryptonite maybe is boredom. I have this habit and it's, it's, it, it's yielded great results. But it can also be problematic where I might decide midway through a project that I want to try a completely new way of doing things. And so there have been times when I'm in the middle of, of this thing, I need to get this illustration done. And then I decide, well, let me experiment with 
live, like, you know, let me, let me live stream it on YouTube while I'm finishing it up. And then I'll divert myself for an hour or so to figure out live streaming rather than finishing the project, you know? So I think there's that sense of like, a part of me might get bored if there's not a certain threshold of interest. And then I might find myself wanting to find a new project instead. And that can result in dozens of unfinished projects and no finished works, if that makes any sense. So I think that part, that tendency to, to look over there and say, Ooh, I want to try that instead midway through something takes a lot of discipline. And, you know, even after all of these years of work, it's something I have to manage as a, as a reflex. So then how many unfinished works do you have? Oh man, let's see off the top of my, I, I, I couldn't even count, you know, I have this concept for uh, a story about that's based on the black plague as it takes place in Iceland. I know it's a, it's a real uh, uplifting subject. So that, that's one. I've got another one that takes place that's more like um, a story of like mythology at a rave party in the 90s. You know, that was a lot of fun. That would have been cool. But you can imagine now when I was inspired to work on that and, you know, how, how much progress is made ever since. There's always things percolating. I've got notebooks filled with little doodles and maybe I'll get to that one later at some point. Amazing you know, how much time we put into our own creativity, whether it's uh, as writing something down, whether it's uh, putting a story together or whether it's, you know, being an artist or being creative in that way. Growing up though, what was your favorite childhood book? My favorite childhood book was, I don't know if there was one. I was, there's a, a Dr. Seuss book who's, you know, maybe it was the Green Eggs and Ham. But really, it was like a box of comics that I had just acquired from my older brothers. You know, these, these had price tags of 10 cents and 20 cents. These were like really old, doggy, feared comics. You know, some Carmine Infantino Flash, some Aquaman of that same era. This was like X-Men before the relaunch of, of you know, the new X-Men. So it was a lot of those 60s era reprints. And so it was just always a constant coming back to those because I could read them and look at the pictures, right? Once I started getting a grasp of reading prose, I just went straight into Greek mythology. And then that was like a whole other mind-blowing, you know, experience being this little kid reading about Hercules, reading, you know, about the Odyssey and just having that through line from Spider-Man and Batman to, you know, Hercules and Ulysses crystallized my tastes. I mean, for me, it was Shel Silverstein and everything like that way back when, um, you know, Dr. Seuss and all that other stuff. Growing up in Canada for myself, it was a lot of uh, CBC and uh, shows along that line, Sharon Lawrence and Bram, that, that kind of solidified my, my path to my sense of humor as well, too. Have you released any other Kickstarters in the past? I have not. This will be my first Kickstarter. What are you expecting from this campaign as a first timer from Kickstarting? Well, I'm expecting to try and have fun and to um, maybe encounter folks who I haven't been in touch with for a long time and, and see have them show up. And then, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll get to meet a lot of new and interesting people along the way. The graphic novel, A Tiger's Tale, I completed a couple of years ago. It was meant to be a black and white book that I was you know, going to shop around. But, you know, the market has changed and I could indie publish it as black and as a black and white piece. But, you know, for the readers that I'm kind of 
looking for, you know, in all honesty, that they're going to want something colorful. I think that the concept of, uh, as I've been trying to refine it and make it suitable to pitch, a lot of the feedback I was getting was, you know, really, this would probably take off more on Kickstarter because I could focus on the people who I want to reach rather than trying to change the project to match what like a publisher's sales model would be. Obviously, a Kickstarter campaign is is like a second job, as as I call it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It is going to take a lot of time and effort into it. How are you going to try to avoid the burnout factor of this campaign? Okay, so this comes back to the pandemic, right? So once the pandemic struck, right, the print magazine of Kung Fu Tai Chi had to stop printing. KungFuMagazine.com still exists as a website and they still you know publish online material. But as a print magazine, it ended unfortunately. So there was this block of time now that is devoted to print that is just available. So over the course of 2020 to through 2021, it was me courting a freelance career, doing some freelance projects. And I've had a few interesting ones, but also like building that um, online store and building the presence and just really building the habit of putting that stuff out there. And so now two years into that, right? This will be my third year. My goal is just to shift all of it to be focused on a tiger's tail. So February 1st, if you don't know, is uh, the Chinese new year. In China, the years are measured, the lunar years are measured um, by the animal that is uh, in prominence for that year. This coming year, February 1st, begins the year of the tiger. Whatever, 40 plus weeks ago, looking back and seeing that and deciding, you know what? These pieces look like they fit together. So I should just move in that direction, you know, in haste. With that date right on on the doorstep, my whole world is oriented towards Tiger's Tail. Rather than coming up with new designs for my online store, whatever makes an online store will be based on the work that I'm doing for Tiger's Tail. It's amazing to see how social media really does help in terms, not only in terms of promotion, but in terms of co- uh, connecting with the masses of people that are are interested not only in comics, but martial arts and everything like that. Um, how has social media helped you promote this book? Oh, it's been key. You know, like the thing with my identity as an artist is that there is some people who like they recognize my work through my work with the Kung Fu community. But outside of the Kung Fu community, I'm relatively obscure. I'm, I'm, I'm that dude all the way up on the mountain doing his own thing. So social media has been a way to like just share what, what I'm up to and just really put out those things. Like focus more on what I'm passionate about and share that and then let those who are also passionate about it find it. And then from there, a connection can be built. So I think that's been the case the social media platforms where I know all my high school friends, right? But then there's also the other social media platforms where it's more about just putting the art out there. With consistency, right, I've noticed who notices me. And and, and that's nourishing. That's especially nourishing, you know, in times of such isolation. It's just amazing how many talented people there are in the world and and how much time and effort that gets put into being a creative person. It, it's a lot more than what we just simply showcase in a simple post. It's true. It's 
I, I think there's a great leveler in that there's a much wider acceptance for creative output. I remember being young and being told, don't pursue comic book art, go be an architect instead, and then you can make a living. And my attitude was, I don't want to do the math. I don't want to do the math, you know? So whereas now there's just such a broader availability for like specific, very specific artistic endeavors, you know, not just in terms of like a comic for any genre, but fusion projects and independently produced projects, whether it's a short film or like to mention a fusion project, I worked on a project with a musician friend where he's producing a double album in the traditional LP format. And then he's also publishing an anthology to go with that album so that each song has a little three-page comic that you could read while, while you listen to. You know, and that's something that I doubt any record label would really have pursued that think I could think of like Z comics as doing that sort of thing these days, but for like an individual to just decide that's the best way for their work of art. I mean, that is very much, you know, a phenomenon of, of the day, I think. And I think that's great. That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing to see. I, and you mentioned short films as well too. You know, I, I dabbled in, in producing short films and all that other stuff as, as well in, in my past life. Um, and it's just amazing to see the creative, the, just the creativity in, as a whole in, in the inter entertainment industry as a whole, whether it's an indie, whether you're indie or a pro or whatever, it's as long as you're creating, I think that's, you're bringing, you know, you're bringing people into your, your genre, your circle, your, your expertise, and you're just sh showcasing what you love to do. That's the main thing about about being creative mm -hmm. if you don't enjoy it then why are you doing it yeah and you're also increasing like the dialogue which i think is is extremely important right like in, in to my mind art must happen in dialogue you know you can draw for yourself and you can write for yourself and you could lock it away and that's fine but for it to kind of be um relevant for it to have life it, it needs to be shared and it needs to be engaged and I think the more people who are creating, then the greater the vocabulary we all have to be able to describe the human condition, but also to be able to like really look at, you know, our own values in terms of what we enjoy, what we don't enjoy, what kind of art speaks to us, what kind of art should be put out there because, you know, art needs to speak to people in power for the sake of the benefit of all, you know? What is the wisest thing that someone has ever said to you that has stuck with you in your career? Oh, man. Well, I met uh, DC editor Bob Rosakis uh, many years ago when, when I was you know, a young artist starting out. And he was looking at my stuff and he's, he expressed appreciation for it. But the one thing he said, which I should have listened to more closely at the time, was that I wasn't spending enough time locked in a cabin just doing the art you know like he could tell that you know i was young so i was out in the world a little bit more and that he kind of suggested that i would have to decide do i want to do i want to lock myself in the room and get artwork done so that i could eventually draw spider-man or do i want to go out into the world and explore other things um, I ultimately decided to go out into the world and explore other things. And I kind of put the comics on a bit of a back burner. But those, those explorations were like so deeply important to 
the person I became that, you know, I kind of really had no choice. What is one mistake that you'll never, ever do again? I have a sneaking suspicion that I'll mostly repeat mistakes, you know? Um, what's a mistake that I'll never do again? Um, wow, that, that's a really challenging question. I'm stumped. You've, you've really got me. I really think that the human condition really has to do with repeated mistakes until you kind of get over it. But then once you're over it, I don't know if you even see it as a mistake anymore. You got me there, Kurt. I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. It's the reason why I ask these questions, just, just to make people think. Oh, they're great. What is one thing that everyone should do once in their lifetime? Travel. Like really try and go as far away from what their baseline culture is as they possibly can for even a short period of time or a long period of time. And I'm not talking about like, we're going to take a, a cruise ship to the Pacific Rim and then we're going to stop off at different locations. You know, I'm thinking more along the lines of really trying to, you know, put your, leave your culture behind as well as you can and go and try and immerse yourself in a different culture and just try and, you know, try and thrive. I mean, survive, of course, and have a good time if you can. But I mean, there's just, there are so many assumptions that we as humans make because we, we create patterns like constantly that things that we consider normal, you know, might only be normal in a specific area that we live or within a specific community or a class structure. And so that the potential to go out and just really see a different culture and, and really try and understand the different norms, why, you know, why such and such is done in a certain way. I think, even that little bit just creates such a value for everything else that you experience. What was the first project that you created where you thought, yes, I could do this as a career? When I was in art school, right, State University of New York, I worked for the student newspaper. This is how long ago that, it, that this was happening. When the very first Mac appeared, right, the teachers, thought it was a fad. They did not want to engage in this new fangled thing called desktop publishing. And so when at that time I was like part of the student government and, you know, fellow classmates were part of the yearbook and part of the newspaper. And so we all kind of got together and decided that we would write the pitch bring it to the student government and have the student government finance the acquisition of two Mac classics, a printer and a scanner so that we could teach ourselves desktop publishing for the sake of the newspaper without waiting for the, the school to actually teach us. You know, four years later, they, they instituted their first, their first desktop publishing class and they offered us all A's just for showing up and showing people how to move around a mouse, you know, because we had we had revolutionized the yearbook and the student newspaper using those Macs. And so it was that do-it-yourself sensibility, that that like willingness to like not wait for someone to tell me, you know, how to do something, but to try and just figure it out and try and get out there and, you know, move things forward. You know, having that experience 
And school really set the tone for like a willingness to go out into unfamiliar territory. I mean, that's part of what moved me to go from New York to California in the first place. And then just from that point forward, it was just kept going, you know, the, the, the opportunities were there. So let me, let me try that new thing out. And that kind of led me almost in a full circle to where I'm at now. Life's journey is amazing. Truly. Is there anything that I haven't touched upon besides the social media side of things that you'd like to showcase those that are watching and listening to this interview? I mean, Kurt, your questions are amazing. Like, I, I feel like I want to sit back with you and have this exact same conversation. And I bet you like those answers will be so different because like each one just opens up a whole new uh, possibility. But in terms of um, anything else, I mean, this is this is a great time. Like, I just wish we could be doing this over tea because then we could really keep going. Hey, I have no problem doing this in the future for sure, too. I mean, if uh, if you want to chat one on one, I'll be happy to, to chat with you and you can. We can toss questions back and forth. Okay, well, here's here's something. Let, let, let me throw at you. I started doing this with another friend of mine who is a Kung Fu master, and he's also working on his own comic, very martial arts oriented. So we've started doing a show called The Comics Foo Show on YouTube, <laughs> specifically it. to kind of sit there at the intersection of comics and Kung Fu and pop culture, right? That three-way intersection. Yeah. So... How about you come and talk about your jujitsu experiences there? Because what we like to do is get the martial artists to talk about stuff that's not about martial arts, their graffiti or their art. And then we like to get folks such as yourself who are in the field of the arts, get them to talk about martial arts. And that's always been fun. So in a heartbeat, just let's schedule something and I'll be on your show. No problem. Awesome. That's going to be a good time. <laughs> You have such a, a wide career. We're, we're only scratching the surface of, of who you are, Patrick. And, and I, I want to dive more. And so I want to have you back on later on in the year, or if not, whatever your next project is for sure, too. So it's this has been a blast. Uh, really, I'm all for it. This is great. Everyone has one person that inspired them on the path to where they are today. Who was that for you? One person that inspired. I see. I don't know. I don't know that. The, okay. So check it out. I've always been a little bit dubious of the concept of like w the one, right? So, mm -hmm. so like a one person that inspired me to be on the path that I'm on. Okay, here it is. This person was like a brother to me when I was very young. We even shared the same last name, but our, but we weren't really related. We would later on find out that his like cousin ended up marrying one of my uncles. And so we had like a vague relationship that way, but it was just fate that I ended up moving next door to another family that shared the same last name, right? So Carlos and Margarita, the elderly couple who lived there kind of became like a second set of grandparents. And then their son, Raymond, was an extremely flamboyant young artist in his own right. And so when I was young, you know, we're talking, you know, coming home from school, coming home from kindergarten, you know, it was not a big deal to stop by his house and show that whatever, that cray paper flower that we made in class. And I think it was that individual, Raymond, his ability to really kind of um, 
point out that art is something that should be put up on a wall, you know, that there's more to it than just, you know, don't just throw that out, save it. It could be valuable later. You should do more, you know? And, and so for young Patrick, that was like, you know, those reminders were there from someone that was close enough to the family so that they could, so that I would listen, but they weren't specifically my family so that I didn't have that, that instinct to say, oh, you're just saying that because you're my mom or, or that sort of thing. And so he was an individual, he died at a very young age and that was unfortunate, but he was someone who just during that formative time period when, you know, I really started to like decide to express my art or express myself through visual arts, he was a person that always was there to say that that's a thing, that's an option, that you can do that. Those early encouragements really fortified me to take a lot of risks once I was a young man and was able to go out there and, and try and do things regardless of whether or not they looked like a good idea at the time. From a professional standpoint, you have been a creative person for, for many years. You have merged martial arts and graphic design, and it has influenced your work professionally, and you've become successful professionally as well. Do you consider yourself personally successful, though? I think that I have found successes in a lot of unexpected areas, and yet I've noticed that the things that I most earnestly would have defined defined as success remain out of reach and that's probably a good thing you know for a long time i would have said you know i'll be successful when i'm the guy who's writing and drawing the x-men you know so years later i'm not i'm not laying any bets that i'll be doing that anytime soon but What's more important are, are, are successes that I've had along the way that have surprised me, you know, little minor opportunities that have really opened up into great experiences. I think the ability to recognize that is where I've been able to find success, the ability to be um, adaptable to what's new. You know, when, when the pandemic hit, I thought I was doomed, you know, I thought, oh, my career is over, early retirement, you know, but now a few years later, it's a whole new world that I've entered into in terms of the ability to create and the willingness to create and the, uh, what, the, the newfound passion that comes from creating. Yeah, success comes in surprising places. The reverse of success is failure. How do you deal with your failures? I try and have a lot of compassion for myself. I mean, for a long time, and I think it's easy to do, you know, there's a reflex to want to find uh, the cause for the lack of failure, whether it's someone or something that's in the way. And so I think that having enough uh, sense of self to like not, not give in to those kind of reflexes uh, leaves a lot of energy available to, to really look at what's next, you know, and it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, the, the, you know, our greatest enemy is always going to be ourselves. And so, you know, we're always subject to that demon, you know, that's on the left and the, the angel that's on the right, but the goal is to kind of not get rid of them, but to kind of chart your course in between them. 
at least as far as I am concerned. So in terms of, you know, when I'm facing a failure, you know, I really have to try and examine what parts of it am I attached to that maybe I don't need to be attached to? And then what parts of it can I really examine for the sake of learning more? Yeah, I think these things um, change. The key is to like be able to change with them. The younger generation is looking at your work and they're becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it's through art or through martial arts or through a combination of both. How can they inspire the generation that follows them? To be kind, I think, is going to be the key, the, the biggest uh, key. Like the people who have inspired me, you know, help me move forward as an artist have always expressed a measure of kindness. I have a, oh, okay, here's a story that comes to mind. I met, when I was young, I met both Dave Cockrum and uh, Walter Simonson. Legends. When I showed Dave Cockrum my portfolio or what stood for my portfolio, you know, it wasn't very good, admittedly. I was just a, a kid at the time, but he was honest. And as a result, he pretty much told me, this isn't very good. You need to practice. You need to practice figure drawing. You need to like, don't draw the superheroes, draw reality. And that's really good advice. You know, that's, that's advice that any artist should have. But he was a little gruff and a little, you know, too matter of a fact for my sensitivity. And uh, so as a result, I kind of walked away a little bit grumbly. Um, maybe a year later, I met Walt Simonson at, uh, another, at the same comic shop, another signing. The way circumstances were, I happened to have a piece of pink cardboard and a purple marker. And I asked him to draw a character using these. I didn't want to, um, I didn't assume that he had a sketchbook and he did have a sketchbook and he was tearing pages out to give to, to kids, which was amazing, but I didn't, I didn't assume that. So I gave him this, this pink piece of cardboard and a purple marker to draw something. And he laughed, but he was also very kind. And he made a point to say that he's going he's gonna to remember this incident, you know, his whole life, drawing a purple nightcrawler on a pink piece of paper for some kid, you know. And we, uh, we got a laugh out of it. Uh, years later, when I was in high school and in art school, I would run into him at conventions and try and remind him. And I haven't seen him in many years, so I don't know if he still remembers, but over those, over that block of time, when I would run into him, he would remember and we'd get a good laugh and I'd go off and, you know, show my portfolio to other people and he'd continue signing books. But that bit of kindness and that bit of connection that was forged in that whimsical fashion really nourished a young artist and infused in me that sense of, you know, encouragement that I should pass on to other artists rather than discouragement. And, you know, that method of really trying to find something that that young artist is doing and, you know, spotlight it and say, hey, this is where your strengths are, focus on your strengths. And then once they've gotten that far, when they're a little more stronger, then they can focus on their weaknesses. Well, you know, Patrick, I do hate to say it, but that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. I just want to thank you so much for, for coming on this show. And before I let you go, though, how can we support you on social media? Where can we find this amazing Kickstarter campaign? And 
we got to have you back on. I'd be happy to be back on. And, you know, I watched a bunch of your previous episodes because I was like, I got to get ready. I got to get, get ready for this dude. He's going to ask some fierce questions. And my mind went blank once you started asking. So I was like, oh, man, time to be real. So great work on the interview tip. Um, on Twitter, you can find me at Plugo, P-L-U-G-O, all caps. On Instagram and most any place else, you can find me at Plugo Arts. My primary website is Plugo Arts. I have a newsletter there, some web comics, a bunch of other stuff. But the real deal thing I want folks to, to take a look at is a tiger's tail, right? So there's a tigerstail.com, which is the website that has some comics, some articles. We're going to start posting some videos. I've got a Kung Fu master who's going to share some, some tiger Kung Fu, which I'm very excited about. But um, Kickstarter will be found. We'll be launching that February 1st. And if you go to Kickstart dot a tiger's tail.com that should take you straight to the campaign page that's wonderful well i i wish you much success with the campaign i'm sure it'll be wonderful and uh i'll promote it whenever you post it on social media there so i i want to make sure that your first campaign is, is a rousing success as much as i can on my side oh i appreciate that kurt i'm really hopeful and you know filled with optimism which I got to fill up that optimism as much as possible because people tell me about the dead zone. So, but I plan to, I plan to be all over the place and try and really let people see the process. I kind of think I want people to see some of the art being made over the course of the month of February. So they can really, you know, hang out over my shoulder and witness the process. Well, you have a beautiful style of art and it's a wonderful story for those that, uh, that are going to pick it up are going to be pleasantly, uh, surprised and and they'll be reading it with great joy with their kids and you're you're inspiring another generation of of martial artists and creative creative people oh you're so kind kurt thank you for for those kind words they'll get me through the night i'm sure well like i said that ends this particular episode of two geeks talking i do want to thank patrick again for coming on the show and you can find this interview and a thousand plus others on our website tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com and of course, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash TGT Media. And as I say every week, everyone has a story to tell. It's up to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening and watching on Two Geeks Talking.